This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Man, I hope it's a payday for you. Fridays are always great. They get better during football season. Baseball season is great, too. You know, because we get SEC weekends, generally. We get a chance to be together for three days. But uh, I'm ready for football. Like many of you, I am ready for football. We didn't have the elongated baseball season this year. This time last year, we were still all wrapped up in the euphoria of winning an NFL championship. This year, you know, baseball season ended for us Memorial Day weekend, and we've been kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs a little bit, looking for something to cheer for. So the portal, baseball portal has kind of filled some of that gap, but there are a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Steve, just get back to me when we play a game. It'll be here before you know it. About six weeks away. I'm eager to get started. Eager, eager, eager to get started. And, uh, you know, we get in fall camp here in about uh, 10 days or so, a couple weeks. Ready to get out there, see the guys, be able to talk to you guys about that, share some good content over at jeanspage.com. Content's always good. But football season, it's different because hope springs eternal this time of year. But uh, I'm excited about our team. I think we are going to have a good team. Uh, I I may be in a minority, but I think we are. You know, old wins. Experience wins in college sports. Wins in high school sports. You know, when you've got a lot of upperclassmen, you typically have a good team. State's got a lot of guys with a lot of SEC snaps under their belt. So, Got offensive, some offensive line stuff we got to kind of shore up a little bit. And if that comes through, I think we're going to be a really good team. Really good team. Again, we're not going to be better at left tackle. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. If we can just be good at left tackle, we don't even have to be great or elite or have a first-round draft pick there. If we can just be good, life in Starkville is going to be a lot of fun this football season. A lot of football talk today on the show. We'll talk a little baseball stuff there here at the end of the show, talk a little baseball recruiting. But uh, a lot of football stuff to talk about is SEC media days are now behind us, and we can go through and make fun of everybody's picks. But like everybody, anybody can make a list. You can make a list. A lot of people say, well, you know, the media makes a list. You know, the, the media doesn't see a lot of games. But, Steve, you're in the media. It's true. And that's why I can speak to you intelligently about this. It's like I've told you before, I think the AP poll is one of the dumbest things in the history of the world. But how can that be? Well, here's the deal. I didn't understand it either until I was on the beat full time. When you travel and you actually cover games, and I know that is a novelty these days, when you actually make the effort to go cover a ball game, typically that's the only game you see. But yet you're supposed to rank 25 teams? I mean, come on. What we need to do, and I would support this, is you get a panel of experts, former coaches, whether they be you know, quality assistant coaches or head coaches, and let them have a poll. Not the current coaches, not the media, but former coaches, guys that can sit around and watch you know, three or four ball games a weekend or more. I think that gives you a lot more credibility. 
I wish somebody would get behind that. I mean, do you really think Mike Leach has a chance to sit down and watch other college football games? Knowing how he works, I mean, honestly, and this is not a shot at Leach. I mean, I'm a huge Mike Leach fan. With a guy like him that is such a film rat, a guy that does a ton of self-scouting, a guy that watches a ton of film of his own guys after practices. I mean, do you think Mike Leach is sitting down watching a bunch of games? When would he have time to do it? Yet we have, you know, a coach's poll, right? I'm not going to chase that rabbit trail for long. I just think the validity of the polls, I think it's really more for entertainment purposes, right? I just don't know if there's a lot of credibility in either poll. I think people, you know, once we get to top 25, it's so difficult to drop out of it if you're a blue blood. And it's, you know, if you're, if you're a team like Mississippi State, we lose a ball game and it's like the world is ending. Ah, I told you those guys weren't any good. Let's drop them out of top 25. I'd love to have a number next to our name at some point this year, and I think we will. I think we will. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, always number one in every poll. The best place to get a restaurant-quality hamburger in this part of the state. Love going in there. Love the service. Love the selection. Love the pricing. And if you're in Starville, you can go by and sit in that new patio area, too. You'll be glad you did. Nice place to go congregate with friends or family. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. I'm a big proponent of the spring rolls. They will make you better looking. And if you check on the menu, it now says that they will make you better looking, which, you know, it's, it's a fact. And now it's in writing. I think it's important to understand that. Go by having today the best appetizer in the Golden Triangle, without question. And then maybe get the pimentology, add bacon. That's my favorite. Like if I'm in a, if I'm in a mood for Bulldog Burger Company, that's, that's what I get when I get a burger. I do like those sloppy Joe sliders because sometimes I don't want to eat real big at night because the portions at Bulldog Burger Company are so substantial. I mean, you're absolutely going to get your money's worth. Uh, when my teenager goes, and like m- most teenagers, you know, he is a guy that is like a bottomless pit when it comes to food. When I take him to Bulldog Burger Company for dinner, I'm basically buying his lunch for the next day too because those portions are just outstanding. So there's a lot of, you know, to-go plates that leave there that come home with us. So go by and check it out yourself. You'd be glad you did. Absolutely be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's jump into some of this SEC stuff. Let's start with the all-SEC list. I told you guys there were a handful of guys that might have a chance to make the list. Only one of them did, right? Only one of them did. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the fuel we need. You know, pick low, not a lot of guys on the all-SEC list. You know, that would motivate me. I, I like doubters. In case you weren't unaware, I like him. Oh, this guy's a joke. Yeah, yeah, and I'm laughing all the way to the bank. So I share all that to say this: that I'm not surprised we didn't have more guys. I would have hoped that maybe Jet or Buki would have been a third teamer. Um, you know, Forbes, Will Rogers, and I just I really felt like that's the issue with Will. I think Will is a ladder of awareness thing. Even though he had the big numbers, I think people say he's a product of the system. And that's fine, too. As long as the system wins, I don't care what everybody else thinks. But here are your preseason media day, all-SEC team voted on by the media. And, again, 
the media votes on this, and a lot of it's based on st- statistics. You know, some of it's based on, uh, you know, on, on maybe familiarity. It's difficult to pick offensive linemen, so a lot of people just kind of go by what the mocks say. You know, it's like, oh, well, this guy was postseason SEC. He's back. Okay, so you kind of win by default. And there's no other, you know, you know, process in which to evaluate them other than on their field of play. So that's probably the fairest way to do it. But uh, I know when I, I used to vote in Fox Sports All-American team, and the offensive line was the most difficult thing to pick because, you know, you're really kind of acutely aware of the guys in your conference – but then there may be somebody in the Pac-12 or whatever that's going to be a surefire first-rounder. And so there was a lot of discussion among people. Like my buddy Brandon Hoffman would be like, hey, who in the SEC should be here? Who should I consider here? And so I used to vote in that poll, and I can tell you that you have to depend a lot on each other in order to get it right. And I don't make the ballots public, which is probably a good thing for some guys in the media too. All right, so your first-team offense, quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama, probably the easiest selection in the conference, at any position this year, on either side of the football. You got the Heisman Trophy winner coming back against a team that, play, against a, a team that played for a national championship. The guy's going to be number one. Tank Bigsby from Auburn, first team. I, ha- I told you guys in the beginning, I love this guy's game. When he went in the portal last year, I was like, man, he's not a good fit for us, man, but I'll be interested to see where he ends up and then he likes to stay at Auburn. And, you know, and that's good for Auburn. Tanks a load, man. Running back Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. That's a guy, too, you look at and you say, has he really done a whole lot to be a first-teamer? I think sometimes some guys benefit from playing at Alabama due to name recognition. Your first-team wide receivers, Kashawn Boutte from LSU. That's a guy that really hurt us last year. Love his game. Be interested to see how LSU loses him this year. And then Jermaine Burton from Alabama. Tight end Brock Bowers from Georgia. Offensive line, Emil I'm going to butcher this, but Emil Akior Jr. from Alabama, Warren McClendon from Georgia, Osiris Torrance from Florida, Nick Broker from Ole Miss, and Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas. Not surprised to see Broker on there. There were some people last year that thought Broker might, uh, might go pro. Second team offense, quarterback Hendon Hooker. That's about what I expected from Tennessee. Running back Chris Rodriguez, a junior from Kentucky. You know, Chris didn't go to media days. There was a lot of questions about that, too. Chris had a DUI earlier this year. There's some of that in the wind, too, man. I never judge these guys too harshly, like for a public drunk or, you know, disorderly conduct, because sometimes it's just kids being kids. But, man, once you get behind the wheel of an automobile and you've been drinking, that's a horse of a different color. I mean, that's just not something that I can excuse or endorse. You know, it's it's one thing to – you know, be on foot and be down maybe in a you know local bar or something and maybe you get a little too deep in the jug and you, and you get in trouble for that, you know, because kids are going to be kids. I mean, it didn't just happen here at Mississippi State. But, uh, you know, we had the Malik Heat thing uh, when Malik had, uh, you know, DUI a while back. And it's just, it's just not anything that anybody can support or say, hey, you know, it's just kids being kids. When you get behind a car and you've been drinking, you're putting other people's lives at risk. And so Mark Stoops and that group, uh, they're howling it. They didn't bring him to media days, and that was, that was a good decision. And I don't mean for him, you know, hey, I got no problem with a guy getting up there getting peppered with questions about, you know, negative behavior, but why would you reward him for the experience? Well, why would you give him the experience of going to media days? Because I do think it's an honor to go after some off-the-field behavior. Chris Rodriguez, an outstanding running back. 
and you hope he gets it figured out. And maybe hopefully it's an isolated incident, right? All right, running back Devin Achain from Texas A&M. He's a guy that really, really got after us a little bit. We were able to kind of bottle him up there in the second half, fourth quarter especially, won that ball game. That guy's really, really good. Had a good game against Ole Miss too. A wide receiver Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. Not a surprise there. Jonathan Mingo, first team from Ole Miss. Excuse me, second team from Ole Miss. I've kind of got an objection to this. I, I really do. I think how is this guy's second team when there are other people out there with better numbers and better production? But whatever. Uh, tight end Cameron Latu from Alabama. Offensive lineman Layden Robinson from, ten, from Texas A&M. They're really high on him. We, we got on him a little bit last year. But there are a lot of people at, around the A&M program that really think that he is going to be a big-time guy. Again, you know, kind of learning and going as you go, but uh, not surprised. Kenneth Horsey from Kentucky. You always expect Kentucky to have one or two offensive linemen. That's one thing I'll say. Stoops and those guys do a good job in the trenches. Offensive lineman Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Offensive lineman Javion Cohen from Alabama. And center Cedric Von Pran from Georgia. Love that name. Kind of reminds me of Jeff Van Note, right? Remember him? Played for the Falcons forever today. Your third-team offense, quarterback Will Levis from Kentucky. I'm not a fan. I think he's a very above-average quarterback. I don't think he's great. He's not better than Will Rogers. I could make a case that, uh, you know, maybe Stetson Bennett probably should have been here instead of Will Levis. I think Will's probably the fifth or sixth-best quarterback in the league. Running back Zach Evans from Ole Miss is a third team, and that's that's based on, on potential rather than production. Running back Kenny McIntosh from Georgia. Wide receiver Anaya Smith from A&M, who also has had some alcohol-related offenses here as of late, was expected to speak at A&M's media day. They canceled that. Probably a good decision, too. Wide receiver Josh Van from South Carolina. Tight end Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Offensive lineman Brady Latham, Arkansas. Offensive lineman Tyler Steen, Alabama. Futs a former Vanderbilt player. Offensive lineman Javon Foster. And then there's a tie here. Offensive line Jeremy James from Ole Miss and Kendall Randolph from Alabama. And the center on your third team offense is Cooper Mays. So not one Mississippi State offensive player made this list. What is that? 37 players counting the tie. Is that right? I guess that's not right. It's uh, 45, I guess. But anyway, you could do the math yourself. You get three teams of 11 players. That's 33 plus the tie. makes it 34. So you get 34 players there. You mean to tell me we don't have one guy on offense, one of the most prolific offenses in this, in this conference, much less the country? Nobody makes it. Austin Williams doesn't make it. Woody Marks doesn't make it. LaQuinson Sharp doesn't make it. Will Rogers doesn't make it. I hope they wear it like a badge of honor. Not a single Bulldog made three teams on the all-SEC preseason list according to the media. Not one. I would venture to say I guess there are probably only two teams that didn't have a player. Right? I mean, you can do the math, right? So Alabama has one. Of course, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, let's get a little deeper. A&M, South Carolina. Looks like it's just us and Vandy, right? Missouri didn't have anybody. Yeah, Missouri did. Missouri had an offensive lineman. I mean, so you start looking at this, 
you know, and there are a lot, there's not a lot of expectations for this team. And there are a lot of people who don't think we're especially talented. I kind of like it that way, to be quite honest with you. That's fine. Go ahead and discount us. I think this is going to be a better year than people anticipate. And I'll enjoy kind of going back to this last year. Because remember last year, I shared with Charles Cross was like a what third team offensive lineman last year. Maybe he was second team. I think he was third team. The only Bulldog to make the list anywhere with one guy. All right, your first team defense, defensive lineman Jalen Carter. That's an obvious pick. B.J. Ojolari from LSU, another obvious pick. Derek Hall from Auburn, the pride of Gulfport, Mississippi. Still kind of sticks in the craw, but he's not wearing running white. Byron Young from West Jones High School. Is that right, Byron Young? Maybe it is. It's my mistake. That's a different Byron Young. It's it's crazy thing. We got two guys with the same name. Uh, played two different teams. That's Byron Young from Tennessee. And linebacker Will Anderson. Even though he doesn't really line up as a linebacker most of the time, I guess potential Heisman Trophy winner. Linebacker Nolan Smith from Georgia. Uh, Henry Toa Toa, formerly of Tennessee, not Alabama. Defensive back Jordan Battle. Keely Ringo from Georgia. Eli Riggs from Alabama. I'm not a fan of Eli Riggs. Nick said, but Steve, Nick Saban took him. And you know what? Maybe Nick can get a little more out of him than they got at LSU. I, I, not, I'm not a fan of Eli Riggs. And there was a lot of discussion, you know, when he went to portal from LSU that he was going to go out west and he ends up going to Alabama. You know, listen, if Nick Saban calls you and you're a DB, you, you pick up the phone, right? And then defensive back Jalen Catalan. We didn't play against him last year because he got injured. He initially went in the portal. He talked him out of it. He recruited him out of the portal. He's still at Arkansas. The guy's really, really good. He's really, really good. Second team, Zach Pickens, defensive lineman from South Carolina. DJ Dale from Alabama. Then Allie Gay from LSU. That guy's a really good player, too. Colby Wooden from Auburn. Linebacker, Bumper Pool. Man, I think Bumper Pool must be on, like, the Casey Clawson you know, memorial scholarship. It seems like Bumper Pool has been at Arkansas since Houston Nutt was there. Guy's a very productive player, for sure. Linebacker Dallas Turner from Alabama. Linebacker Brenton Cox from Florida. Defensive back Cam Smith from South Carolina. Defensive back Antonio Johnson from A&M. Chris Smith from Georgia. And then Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. The lone Bulldog on the preseason All-SEC team. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll see. All right, third team, uh, uh, Jervin Dexter from Florida, Justin Igabogi from Alabama, Mason Smith from LSU, former five-star, McKinley Jackson, the pride of George County High School, third team for A&M. Guy can really play. Linebacker Owen Popoa from Auburn, linebacker Ventro Miller from Florida, linebacker Jeremy Banks, Tennessee, Kool-Aid McKinnistry from Alabama, Trey Dean from Florida, Trevon Flowers, Tennessee, D.B. Malachi Moore from Alabama. And here is one of the things where I have a, a real issue with this list. Tulu doesn't make it as a specialist. The guy was the most electric return guy in the SEC last year, so much to the point that people would kick it out of bounds rather than kick it to him, and he didn't make the list. That tells me some people were lazy in their research. So punter is Nick Constantino from Texas A&M, and he deserves it. Uh, Will Reichard from Alabama is your kicker. Return specialist is Kiaris Jackson from Georgia. Okay, I could probably get with that. But Tulo doesn't make any of the three teams. All-purpose, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. It's almost like let's just create as many spots as we can to get as many Alabama guys on the list. Second team punter, Oscar Chapman, Auburn. Place kicker, Andres 
Anders Carlson, remember he tore his ACL against us last year. Makes you wonder how effective he's going to be this year. Not enough for me to put him on a list, I can promise you that. Return specialist, Anaya Smith from A&M. And this is, again, a problem I have with this. Anaya Smith is already on the list. He's already on the list. And now he's getting a second for now. All-SEC honor. All-purpose is Devin Achain from Texas A&M. He's already on the list. Third team punter is Paxton Brooks from Tennessee. Place kicker Harrison Mevis from Missouri. Return specialist JoJo Earl, Alabama. And then all-purpose Anaya Smith from Texas A&M. Why don't we just call him the SEC player of the year? He can't play D-tackle too? I mean, it's like these lists – are supposed to be a little more inclusive than this. And, you know, I, I reject this on principle. Honest to goodness, I absolutely reject it on principle. And, and I, listen, talented players for sure. But to tell me that Tulu Griffin is not among the top three return specialists in this conference is an absolute joke. That is an absolute joke. And the people that voted against him, also an absolute joke. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I didn't put. A, I didn't go to media days. David Murray goes for us. I have gone before. It is. Uh, it is not what you think it might be. You know, and like I, when I had never gone before, I was like, "Oh, I gotta go to media days. I gotta experience that." And you get there, and you know, a lot of times it's just a chance for everybody to get together and eat and go have drinks. You know, it's just a chance for the media to kind of socialize and kind of network a little bit, and that's cool too. But you don't learn a whole lot at media days. It's just kind of like the kickoff of. Uh, you know, of college football season. And, and now that everything is broadcast, it, it just it doesn't have the luster it once had. But let's move forward. Let's look at the... Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20 minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. 
And Tecovis has first wear comfort. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Preseason picks for the divisional winners. And as you can imagine, Mississippi State picked now near the bottom. And that's, that's fine. Whatever. Um, so your Eastern winners, according to the media, Georgia. Big surprise there. After that, you could make a case for almost anybody. I mean, even though Clark Lee says Vanderbilt in time will be the greatest football program the world has ever seen. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to get to it a little bit later. I don't want to chase the, the rabbit trail here. But number two, according to the media, just edging out Tennessee is Kentucky. I, 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 it's, I don't buy it. I, I don't. I don't. I think Kentucky's going to be a good team. I think they're probably um, I think they're probably fourth this year behind Tennessee, Florida. It's like every I don't know who I don't know who works for Kentucky when it comes to like the media relations thing. They have done an incredible job marketing their program to members of the media that hey, this is the year. And it's like I, some of the things that I've seen, it's like that South Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky are all going to beat Georgia this year. Let me give you a hint. No. No. Because talent still matters. We don't play it on a video game. you got to line up and go smack somebody in the mouth. And if you don't think Georgia's going to do that, you're kidding yourself. And, yes, they lost a ton on defense, but there's a lot of skill on offense. Kirby Smart's recruited at a very high level. Not going to be a huge drop-off from Georgia. Number three on the list is uh, Tennessee. They get one vote. Kentucky got four to win the East. And that was really the difference between the two because Kentucky got four votes to win it, so they got more points. They had 932 points. Tennessee had 929. Florida picked fourth. South Carolina, fifth. And they got three first-place votes. And I'm going to say this to you, too. This is the kind of silliness of SEC media days that hurts the integrity of the media day list. Guys, South Carolina may have a really good year this year. They got Spencer Rattler. They should be better on offense, right? But three votes, probably all South Carolina people. Number six is Missouri. And then here's one of the craziest things. Vanderbilt is seventh. Shocker. They get one vote to win the SEC East. And we, and we people expect these lists to be taken seriously. I mean, yeah, anybody can make a list. But if you're going to go vote Vanderbilt number one, you got no business voting. You kidding me? They haven't won a conference game in two years, man. And it's like, oh, they're going to go win the East? Give me a break. It's a, it, it makes a joke of the entire process, an absolute joke. And everybody's, you know, this is America. You have the right to be wrong. But if you don't take it more seriously than this, how can you expect the fans to take this more seriously? Does that make any sense?
Vanderbilt's not winning the East. Hot take there. In the West, big shocker, Alabama's picked to win. Matter of fact, Alabama got the most votes of any team to win their division. Alabama, 177 votes to win the West. Texas A&M, second, a distant second. They got three votes to win the West, too. No. No. Arkansas, third. They also get a, a vote to win the West. No. It's not going to happen. You realize Arkansas, it's like we, we look at this Arkansas team last year, and, and let's talk about this. And listen, Sam Pittman has done a much better job than I and many others expected. That's to be fair. Sam, we thought Sam would be a stopgap guy. He's known as a great recruiter. He's proven to be a really good football coach, too. But let's look back at the schedule real quick here. You know, it's like, not to mention, look at what they lost from a year ago, too. You know, they get K.J. back. You know, K.J. could have been a nice argument for the third pick uh, in the quarterback deal. But, you know, let's take a quick look at the schedule from last year. So, we touched on this earlier. But they go 4-4 four and four in a conference last year, right? 4-4. Four and four. They win their bowl game. But, I mean, let, let's look. They, they get off to a good start here, and then they beat A&M. They start out 4-0, and and everybody's like, all oh, these guys are going to be world beaters. This is the year. They're going to go to Georgia. They're going to win, and they get smacked in the mouth 37-0. And then they lose on the road at Ole Miss, a game they should have won. But give Ole Miss credit, Ole Miss made the place to win. And then they lose to Auburn. So they lost three in a row. They finally beat Pine Bluff. Then they beat us by three. They beat a wounded LSU team by three. They lose to Alabama and they beat Mizzou. It's like they won a couple of close ball games and all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, they're going to be better. I think they're going to be about the same. I may be wrong. Ole Miss picked fourth. No votes for number one. They've had some in the past because like some people just showing up and voted for them like it's a joke. LSU picked fifth. Mississippi State, sixth. Not too far ahead of Auburn, but far enough that we can kind of say, hey, you know. Uh, actually, I think State's going to finish fourth. Call me a homer, but that's what I think. You know, State could finish highest third, but, um, you know, I, I just don't see it. I think we'll be an 8-4 type team and finish middle of the division. But uh, your overall SEC champion picked Alabama, 158, shocker. Georgia was second at 18. South Carolina gets three votes to win the SEC. Vanderbilt gets a vote to win the SEC. And Texas A&M gets a vote to win the SEC. And, again, we want to be taken seriously. I mean, come on. Right? You know, when I put my name to something, and listen, I make some mistakes, and there are times I go back and read articles, and I, I you know, should have proofread better and that kind of stuff. But you got to take some pride in what you do. And I think the anonymity of this process, I mean, it's not, you know, let's be fair, though. It's like preseason lists don't even matter because they don't. They don't really mean anything. You know, the preseason all-SEC thing is neat. It's a great honor for the young men. It's true. But outside of that, I mean, it's like, do they, do they go back and award, like, a, a prize to the media guy to pick the poll correctly? No, they don't. That's not how it works. But interesting that Auburn's picked last, and they should be, picked last in the West. A lot of discussion about Brian Harson. You know, he had his media day and talks about, hey, these people came after me and it didn't work. 
Hey, Brian, don't get too lippy up there on the podium, buddy. Those people got a lot more influence than you think. And just because they missed the first time, don't think they'll miss a second. I mean, this dude had to go down to a vote to keep his job after year one. Sometimes it's best just to get up there and say, you know what, hey, we're happy to be at Auburn. We feel good about our team. And, uh, you know, we lost some players. We brought in some good guys. We're, we're excited about this. You get up there and you give the good speech. You don't get up there and start rattling sabers with the people that came to get you because they got a lot more bullets in the gun than you do, Brian. That, that They finished last in the West. Brian Harson, you'll never hear from that guy again. They'll buy him out. They'll pay him off especially if Alabama is as good as we expect them to be. Because then those Auburn people will get motivated and say, we're just falling farther and farther behind with this guy. And that'll get more people motivated to contribute to the buyout of one Brian Harson. Sometimes, Brian, you got to let the sleeping dog lie. Because you didn't win. You just survived. They're, they didn't disappear. There's still people that are influential within your fan base. These are people that, that contribute a lot of money to your university. And what's going to happen when you go six and six or seven and five or five and seven or whatever it may be, those are the people that are going to pick up the phone and call your university president and say, see, I told you guys we should have got rid of him last year. We wouldn't have had to endure this season. Now we got to go through a coaching change again, and then it's going to be this turnover on, you know, Personnel, we're just farther, farther and further and further behind Alabama. You're going to give them more evidence to work with. So you got to go, Brian. You better go win Coach of the Year. You better find a way to beat Alabama. You better get to a Florida ball game, or you're gone. You can't get up there and arrogantly kind of thumb your nose at the same people that nearly got you fired the first time, especially when you with the recruiting effort that you had last year. You look at the recruiting effort this year, you're not really going off on gangbusters either. So all you're doing is kind of laying the groundwork for your enemies, you know, to fire you. I thought that – I know some Auburn people were fired up, and it's like, yeah, good for him. And I'm, I thought to myself, this is a mistake. This is a mistake. Those of you that have ever worked in uh, corporate America, you understand, you know, there's people at the corporate office you don't need to make mad, Right? And it may not be people that are executives. They may not, may not be people that are in your direct chain of command, but there are people up there that have influence, that have access to decision makers in your life that perhaps you don't. You don't want to make them mad. Because when the time comes to downsize, the time comes to make some decisions about funding and things like that, your name's going to be passed around. Yeah, I don't really like that guy. He's kind of a jerk. Right? You know how it works. you got to play a little politics. I think Harson absolutely put himself in a very bad situation. Listen, I'm, I'm full of bravado and uh, vinegar at some times, too. But I also understand, you know, where my bread is buttered. And you just simply can't go out there and be confrontational with people that have a little more power than you think. And I know you're proud to have survived that for now. But it'll be interesting to see what happens at Auburn. I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to be making a coaching change at the end of the year, barring a tremendous season on the Plains. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you as always by our friend Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com. Let me go ahead and get you his phone number now because you're going to need it. And if you, if you need it and you don't have it and you forget it and you don't want to go back and find it in the show, you message me, I'll send it to you. 
It's 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. And Blair shared on Facebook earlier today, the housing market is beginning to heal a little bit. Things are beginning to settle a little bit. Interest rates, you know, may jump a little bit here, but we do get the feeling that there is more inventory out there. I've talked to a couple of realtors and said, hey, and things are getting a little bit better. So if you're in the market, now's a good time to kind of make a move. And again, visit him at closewithblair.com, C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a Bulldog. He's a season ticket holder, multiple sports, has a place here in Starkville. I like to do business with Bulldogs whenever we can. I encourage you to do so as well. Let's keep it in the family. Plus, you never know. If you do business with somebody else, your money may go to buy somebody else's football players. But um, the reality of it is is that uh, maybe now is the right time for you to refinance your home. Maybe you need to get your equity working for a year. Blair can help you with that. Top 1% close ratio in the country two years running. Works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the best lenders in mortgage origination in the country. Again, that's Blair Chandler, closewithblair.com. Closewithblair.com. All right, so years ago, I'm from the 1900s, and uh, we used to have, like, when they were major motion pictures that came out, we would have a soundtrack. You know, there's some big ones over the years. There's the Footloose soundtrack, right, the Top Gun soundtrack. A lot of these soundtrack albums were, were major hits in their own right. And it's like, hey, I love this movie. I'm going to go out and buy the soundtrack. I'll tell you, some of my favorite soundtracks. I love the Last Action Hero soundtrack. If you're unfamiliar with that Arnold Schwarzenegger gem, I encourage you to watch it. But the, the music on that is phenomenal. One of the last great motion picture soundtracks, to be quite honest with you. But... Um, Bill and Ted, the Bill and Ted movies, like if I ever see them on at night, I'm not going to be able to go to bed for a while. I'm just not. i got to be able to watch the, the silliness and the sophomore humor that is Bill and Ted. But they had some incredible soundtracks. Bill and Ted 3 is out on streaming platforms now. It is a good movie. It's not as good as the first two, you know, because now Bill and Ted are adults and they're, you know, their daughters are kind of, you know, leading the charge now. And so... It's different. The soundtrack, a little different too. The music on uh, Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, I think, are better. So we're going to do the best of Bill and Ted today. Your top ten. From the Bill and Ted Face the Music motion picture soundtrack, it's a song called Breaker from Fiddler. It's kind of a punk rock song. It's a little more in your face. There are some low points on this soundtrack. I mean, I told you that the soundtrack in its entirety is really not very good, but I think this is one of the shining moments. Another song off that album, and the final one from Face the Music is the number nine song from the group Mastodon, and we haven't had them on the top ten before. If you've, I guess it was it was a rock band. Mastodon was one of the last groups you had to beat right, to advance the game to the, the, the last set list. The song is Rufus Lives. And, you know, of course, Rufus was played by George Carlin, and um, they had to kind of do some te- technological mastery to get him in, in the third one, but he was in there. Number eight, though, this goes back a few years. I dig this band a lot. They kind of jumped in, you know, when things in music were changing. And I love this stuff, too. Like, there are people like, oh, well, grunge killed metal. Metal lives forever, okay? Let me just go ahead and put that out there. Metal will always be an art form. 
And it's always going to have a very, very big following, even though maybe it doesn't get recognized on, on shows and things like that. Uh, however, off the Axwin Adventure album, there is a, uh, a band that kind of got wrapped up like in the end of grunge, the, excuse me, the end of metal and kind of beginning of grunge, like they're, they're kind of their breakthrough moment happened as music was changing. And I, I read these people and they're like, oh, well, grunge to this and grunge to that. Guys, here's the deal. And I don't know that people can, are willing to admit this, but what happens is the record buying public gets younger, right? Because all of us, all of us metalheads from the 80s, as we get into the 90s, you know, we get into college and our music chase taint, uh, Music tastes change. Say that three times real fast. A little bit. And then we're getting married and we're buying houses and, and you're not buying CDs anymore. Next thing you know, you're having kids and it's like, I, you know, rather than buy a CD or download this, I need to go buy some diapers or some baby formula. And so as a result, the people that don't have the same responsibilities as you continue to buy these albums. And so they're going to cater to them. They're going to cater to the record buying public. I mean, just think about this. I mean, you know, when we were kids, you know, disco was king. As awful as that sounds to say now. But there's a reason the Bee Gees lost favor, and it's because it wasn't because people just got tired of it. It's just that people moved on. And then younger people were like, you know what? This music doesn't really identify me. I don't really relate to this music. So disco sucks. They had disco-free weekends on radio stations and that kind of stuff. So as we age and evolve and decades change, music changes. And then, of course, there's the whole grunge thing, too, where the record companies, they were so sick and tired of all the cookie-cutter metal stuff. They wanted something different. So they created something different. You say, but Steve, no, they created something different. They began to prioritize a different brand of music. And like I, I read these things, and you guys know I'm not a Nirvana fan. And one of the biggest reasons that I don't really like Nirvana, number one, they weren't very good. And many of you that are like, oh, yes, they were. You don't know three songs, dude. Stop. Stop. I, I, knew, I knew more songs from the Sea Hags than you know from Nirvana, okay? But what happens, you know, the older we get, the better they were. Like Kurt Cobain obviously had a huge following, but it's like, Guys, Soundgarden had sold about 2 million records before Nirvana had a, a major record deal. But Steve, they were with Sub Pop. Exactly, they were with Sub Pop. I know it's cool and trendy, but they didn't get a major label until later. And so, and then the Melvins and the Screaming Trees and Mud Hunt, and all these bands that were already recording and playing at big arenas before Nirvana was. And so they get a lot of credit for things they didn't do. And so... Nirvana was a, you know, in many respects, you know, kind of a flash in the in the pan, but I think a lot of it had to do with the angst in the song "Smells Like Teen Spirit," like that whole part of "Here We Are Now, Entertain Us." I think people had kind of gotten bored with the metal stuff, and so as a result, bands like the number eight band on your list today, they got washed up in that. There was all of this fatigue about 80s metal because it was the same thing it was some pretty boy with long hair and even though we, they weren't wearing a lot of makeup in the late 80s early 90s it's like people just didn't identify with those guys anymore you know when motley and rad and those guys came up there was a little more grit to it and it's kind of like i want to be like those guys i want to go i want to shoot jack daniels and you know 
ride around in a limousine, you know, with models in bikinis. I mean, there was all this decadence. And I think people were beginning to realize that lifestyle is unattainable for me. And all of a sudden, you know, I got three guys out here playing in a high school gymnasium that looked at this guy done working at Subway. So the band Shark Island, who was really good, they've actually been around since the 70s. But they finally found some notoriety in the 80s and their big break late. And uh, they were on that album, Excellent Adventure, with a song called Father Time. Shark Island actually had two songs on that soundtrack. But Father Time, I think, is the better of the two. Now, we're going to flash ahead to Bogus Journey here. The number seven song on your list is Slaughter. Uh, Mark Slaughter, of course, was originally the, the lead vocalist for the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. If you're unfamiliar with Vinnie Vincent, he was a very much a shredder on guitar. He was, uh, I guess, the replacement for Mark St. John with Kiss. Sometimes the timeline runs together. So Vinnie was discovered by Paul and Gene. He was on the Creatures in the Night album. They were still doing makeup then. He was like the lizard man or whatever. And so Vinnie, who was an ex- extremely self-destructive person, gets kicked out of Kiss. He starts his own band, the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Those first two records, I guess there were only two, uh, were phenomenal. You had the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. They had the song Boys Are Gonna Rock on it. And they came back uh, with All Systems Go that had uh, Love Kills on it and uh, Ashes to Ash. It was great. So Mark Slaughter was phenomenal. He had about a five or six octave voice. Still does. Had a chance to meet that guy here a couple years ago. Incredibly nice guy. Lived up to everything everybody always told me that Mark Slaughter is one of the most unassuming rock stars you'll ever meet. A great song here that it was kind of in between albums. It didn't make Stick It To You, and it wasn't on, um, I can't remember the name of the second album. But anyway, it's uh, Shout It Out is uh, a great song. Shout It Out from Slaughter, your number seven song. Now, number six, and it's ironic that we're doing this. And I, actually, I got a message earlier this week, and you have to forgive me. I remember, or forget the name. Kind of made me think about all this. Guys, hey, have you ever heard of uh, Richie Kotzen? And, of course, I have. Now, uh, Richie, of course, is the lead singer and guitar player for the Winery Dogs and has been involved with a lot of other projects. At one time, he was the guitar player in Poison on the Native Tongue album. That's when C.C. DeVille was on hiatus from Poison. But I used to subscribe to Guitar Magazine, and they were really big on Richie before Richie broke through. And so I was kind of eagerly anticipating hearing some Richie stuff. And then Richie Kotzen's song, Dream of a New Day, is on that, uh, I think it's the Bogus Journey album. You have to forgive me. It's been, it's been a while since I put this list together. But Richie Kotzen's Dream of a New Day is your number six song on the top ten. Now, number five is on Bogus Journey, and this is kind of a risque song a little bit. So you might enjoy the music more than the lyrics. I think the whole thing works pretty well. It's a band called Power Tool, and the song is Two Heads Are Better Than One. And you can kind of, you listen to the song, you'll figure it out. Number four, also off Bogus Journey, and this was kind of a sinister track. It was when, uh, you know, the Grim Reaper came uh, to take, you know, Bill and Ted uh, to Purgatory, I guess. And it's the Megadeth song, Go to Hell. And uh, it is very much sinister and in your face. And uh, it really matched well with the show. If you didn't, Bogus Journey is amazing. I love that movie. It's so silly and stupid, uh, but it's really funny. And I think the Grim Reaper really added something to the value of it. You know, they go down there and they challenge him to these games, and you know, you can win your your soul back if you beat him in a duel. And, and they end up playing Twister and all kind of crazy stuff. The whole thing is just so incredibly silly. Uh, but the Megadeth song really, really matches well uh, with the scene there. Number three. A bit of a one-hit wonder. 
I love this song. Matter of fact, it is probably my favorite song that is kind of exclusive to these soundtracks. And it's a band called Neverland. And again, toward the end of the 80s, I think if these guys had maybe been born a couple of years earlier, they might have had more commercial success. It's a band called Neverland. The song is Drinking Again. I, it, and again, it's rock radio. It's kind of like tr- trickster, right? It's not, there's not a lot of grit to it. It's just, the guitar is really good, but vocally it's a little bit softer. I guess than maybe the mid '80s metal stuff, and that's kind of what happened as we got a little bit deeper into the '80s. Is things began to get a little more melodic, and so we didn't have you know Stephen Piercy's raspy voice or David Coverdale's incredible pipes, and I think a lot of these bands too were a little bit softer. They, they had a little bit softer edge, and I think you know the true metal heads were kind of like you know I don't know. I don't like the way this music is trending. And then all of a sudden, you know, Soundgarden comes out of the great Northwest, you know, with a drop D tuning and Alice in Chains. And all of a sudden, oh, this is what I was looking for. I wanted something a little more attitude, a little more girth. And what people don't understand either, you can find some videos online right now. You can go Google right now. Alice in Chains, before Jerry Cantrell joined the band, they were a hair band. And you can see Lane Staley with his big spiked up hair and everything. And they're basically singing exactly what everybody else in the 80s was singing. And then Jerry Cantrell changed the sound and look of the band. So listen to that. Um, but Neverland, a great, a great band for sure. Number two, and I think we can probably agree the top two. Number two for me is, uh, we've talked about this on the show before. This is a refrain that KISS bought the rights to from the Christian rock band Petra. They basically traded out. I'll remind you of this. So KISS had the song Heaven's on Fire off the Animalize album. And apparently the guys in Petra were kind of like, I don't, you know, Heaven's on Fire? Huh? No, it's no, it's really not. Hell's on Fire, Heaven's not. But they took the music, kind of changed it up a little bit, and they made the song Seen and Not Heard, which is a great Christian rock song. And so as part of that trade, Paul Stanley and those guys did God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too. And Petra had that. You know, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, and people used to sing it out loud, and it was a big part of the show. And so Kiss, of course, had a major hit with that. And I think you could probably find that. There's only like 10,000 Kiss greatest hits and the best of Kiss and the very, very, very best of Kiss. But God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too is, is a big one. But number one for me, and this is one of those bands too that I think were so different. They were kind of, they, had, they were from Boston. They kind of had some Aerosmith influence, but you had this incredible guitar player, Nuno Bencourt, kind of laying down the chops. And that great scene in the movie in Excellent Adventure when they're in the mall and everything goes crazy and you've got Joan of Arc and Genghis Khan, all these people running around a shopping mall. They play this song it's play with me it's you know do you want to play by extreme extreme an incredible band we've actually done a top 10 list with them on the show i think this is another band too because of the eddie van halen van van halen tapping uh vita brada type stuff that was going on at the time because everybody was kind of like everybody was influenced by eddie van halen just most people weren't talented enough to do it nuno was and is Guy's a phenomenal guitar player. Like many of you know them for uh, more than words can say. Um, and, and, you know, that's okay too. I, I dig that song too. 
but I dig the earlier stuff. And I listen, I think Porno Graffiti is an incredible album. I think this first album is a little bit better, honestly. Now, it's the second album, a little more extravagant, I guess, a little more self-indulgent. But the first album with Kid Ego and, and uh, Play With Me, I mean, it's just there's not a lot on that album that I would kick out. And uh, Wish That Extreme was um, a bigger deal than they were because the guys were incredibly talented. You know, Gary Sharon actually was the, the vocalist for Van Halen on Van Halen's three album, right? The third incarnation of Van Halen. It was Dave and then Sammy and then Gary Sharon. And there's actually some pretty good stuff from Eddie on that album. It kind of gets panned because people just did, couldn't accept it. You know, a lot of people, it's like, okay, we finally got over David Lee Roth being gone. And we're digging Sammy, and now Sammy's gone. It's like you want us to listen to another singer, and I think there was a lot of fatigue there. Really, in many respects, I think that's when Van Halen truly began to kind of unravel. And I know that sounds sacrilegious to say, but that's the reality of things. So that's your top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out, let me know. Better yet, hit up Roy. Roy's uh, recently had some second interviews. Looks like Roy's uh, uh, pretty close to finding gainful employment. You know, he's still got his current job, but, uh, you know, listen, if you, if you are looking for a guy that uh, works in quality management, uh, hit Roy up in the DMs on Twitter, at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Also find him on Spotify, and you can keep up with all of our great lists that way. Thanks so much, as always, for your support of the Top Ten list. Again, we'll do our best to, uh, to, to work, filter your ideas in. And, again, appreciate so many people that have reached out and shared their ideas. We've done just about everybody. And then we dig up Europe, and then we do Bill and Ted, right? So next week we'll probably uh, filter in some R&B again. Uh, some other things out there, some other ideas we have. If you've got a great idea, reach out, let Roy know. We might just do it. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. If you've already shopped there, you, you already love it, right? New, renovated, and expanded bully shop. Be sure and go by and check that out. You'll be glad you did. I love the place. I love the selection there. When I am shopping for Mississippi State merch, that's exactly where I go. I don't go shop online. I don't go to Amazon or anything like that. I go and I shop local with Campus Bookmark. Now, if you can't make it to town and you'd like to shop local too, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. It's time to. And we're almost at the beginning of August. We're going to start playing football beginning of September. If you order some stuff today, you'll have it by August 1, right? You should. You've got to be thinking about that, right? That, that new jersey, that new T-shirt is kind of waiting for its moment in the sun. It's time that we show everybody we're excited about football season. So get some new Mississippi State merch. No better selection than Campus Bookmart. When you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. But if not, as always, CampusBookmart.net is your source for Mississippi State merchandise, without question. All right, we spoke recently about the Tennessee infractions case. I want to spend a few minutes on this. But um, we talked about how quiet it had been. And I give Tennessee a lot of credit. I mean, a ton of credit. You know, when we, we had the Ole Miss investigation – you know, it seemed like there were leaks all the time, right? And then Ole Miss people could not stop explaining. Like if, if somebody in national media had a story, of course, I mean, the Clary Ledger wasn't going to have a story. They would write a story about somebody else's story, but they weren't going to do any real journalism. But there was a lot of stuff in the media. This thing with Tennessee, man, has been locked up. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, we, 
we chased the Tudor Gate scandal at Mississippi State relentlessly. And that's why we were able to get a story together immediately. We had the story ready to go. So as soon as the sanctions came out, the story was ready. But uh, due to student privacy issues, we just couldn't get anywhere. And we talked to people, and everybody's like, well, you got to talk to so-and-so. They're not talking. And, you know, it was a negotiated resolution. It went really well for Mississippi State. But um, we all knew about it, right? This Tennessee thing, I give them credit. While there, there was the – the big splash when they had to fire Jeremy Pruitt and all those staffers and things like that. And there were allegations, of course, from uh, former players, family. And so the notice of allegations is now public. The Knoxville News obtained a copy. It's funny. Nobody had to go to court to get their notice of allegations. Interesting, right? Somehow, some way, the Knoxville News the Knoxville Sentinel, I guess is what it's called, either way, they obtained a copy of the Notice of Allegations without all this other hubris that went along with what I'd had to do uh, to get the truth out here in the state of Mississippi. So good for Tennessee for, number one, keeping it quiet and then being transparent once there was some news to report. So the big, the big news if you're Tennessee is they, in their allegations, they're not hit with lack of institutional control. And you say, well, Steve, how is that possible when there were coaches and staffers involved in all this? And you know, that, that, that's interesting. It's a good question. So, and, and smart on you for thinking of that. The university uncovered the issue. So the institution itself policed itself as like, hey, we have discovered this is an issue. And then they began an investigation, and then they self-reported it. And we, and we read that stuff all the time. Why would we ever do that? Well, that's part of compliance, guys. You know, if you find it and report it, you're going to get slapped on the hand. If they find it, you're going to get absolutely filleted at the stake. And you're just kind of hoping nobody else does. That's just not how life works. You get caught in the cover-up. The cover-up's more d- difficult to uh, survive than the crime. But no lack of institutional control. And I do think Tennessee is going to get hit pretty, pretty good, but they're going to avoid, you know, they might even avoid a bowl ban. Or maybe they get a one-year bowl ban rather than two, like some other people. But, um, you know, the NCAA had changed the rules here earlier this year that they're trying to make sure that um, individuals are kind of punished for their misdeeds so it doesn't um, – impact the guys that did follow the rules. So I think we're going to see some changes in the way punishment is kind of meted out here. All right, so I'm going to run through some of these violations with you because I think it's important because there are a bunch of them. <laughs> there are a bunch of them. Violation one from late July to mid-November, six recruits made unofficial visits to campus and accepted cash or gifts during the recruiting dead periods amid the COVID-19 pandemic. None of those recruits enrolled at Tennessee. And this is what's interesting, too. This, this is the thing that kind of makes you upset. Coaches Jeremy Pruitt, Ansley Felton, and Niedermeyer, and recruiters Gunn Boone and an unnamed student assistant arranged and provided $12,000, $173 in hotel stays, meals, entertainment, transportation, and team apparel. That sound familiar? That stuff will get you. Also, Jeremy Pruitt's wife, Casey, arranged for a real estate agent to meet with the recruit's family. Crazy, man. Violation two, Jeremy Pruitt, Gunn Boone, and an unnamed booster arranged and provided a player 
12,707 hotel stays and all the rest that goes with it, along with game day parking, furniture, household items. Crazy. This also included Jeremy Pruitt paying $3,000 in cash to a player's mother to assist paying debt for a medical bill. Where have I heard that before? The gifts began when Tennessee began recruiting a prospect and continued after he enrolled. Casey Pruitt, the wife of Jeremy Pruitt, provided $12,500 in cash car payments, 25 payments of $500 each, and $3,000 in rent for a player and his mother from September 18 to 2021. Pretty crazy stuff, man. The wife was involved, too. She's ride or die, right? Pretty crazy. Yeah, interesting here, note, too, from uh, the article here, is that Casey Pruitt worked in Florida State's compliance office. That's how her and Jeremy met. Pretty crazy. Also worked at Troy. So she should know the inner workings of uh, how this all works. Violation four, there was a recruit that was uh, paid him 1983 bucks, including hotels and team apparel and parking and all kind of stuff like that. Of course, the kid came to Tennessee. Here's another one they arranged for $2,463 worth of stuff. We talk about impermissible benefits. That happens a lot all over, and it's, it's impermissible for a reason. And you got coaches doing it. Crazy. Here's another one, $1,755 to two different recruits and their families in benefits. Uh, violation 8, another one. Here, here's $3,919 to 13 recruits and their families in cash, hotel stays, meals, entertainment, transportation, team apparel. Nine of the recruits came to Tennessee, including six who played in games for volunteers. So they'll be volu- – they'll be – they will be – vacating those wins. Jeremy Pruitt, Felton, Ainsley, Gunn, Boone, and Hughes arranged to provide benefits uh, and coaches made impermissible contact with one of the recruits during the COVID-19 recruiting dead period. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle all that because we, we were in the middle of a global pandemic and everybody understood that you couldn't do those kinds of things. I don't think the Committee on Infractions is going to smile on that. Violation 9, seven Tennessee football players were given $1,338 in cash from April to November for living expenses and other costs accrued from hosting prospects for impermissible recruiting visits. That's going to be awfully interesting. Violations 10 through 16, each were assigned a um, – all everybody involved, Jeremy Pruitt, Felton, Niedermeyer, Gunn, Boone, Hughes, and an unnamed student recruiting assistant were all each assigned a level one violation for unethical conduct. And then finally, see, not finally, um, violation 17, investigation determined Jeremy Pruitt committed a violation involving head coach responsibility because he failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance in the football program and monitor staff from September 18th to January 21. The period spanned all but the first eight months of his tenure. Now, one thing that makes this a little bit different than the Hugh Freeze thing is while Hugh, I guess, was maybe present when uh, there was a donor that paid for meals for a recruit out of Memphis. Like they had the uh, in-home visit, right? But Freeze was never named directly in a lot of these uh, allegations, especially the ones that involve uh, impermissible benefits. But here you have Jeremy Pruitt, not just a staffer. There wasn't this, you know, two degrees of separation. Jeremy Pruitt himself and his wife are named in these allegations. So in many respects, that's much more serious. And I think as a result, Pruitt's going to get a very lengthy show cause. You know what, Freeze did not. Violation 18, investigation determined the university failed to monitor the football program's recruiting plans 
to ensure the staff followed NCAA rules during Jeremy Pruitt's tenure. However, the university was not found to have committed a worse violation, lack of institutional control. So, yes, there is an institutional penalty, but there is not the dreaded lack of institutional control. And, again, I believe that goes back to the fact that they are the ones that uncovered the violations, and they were very forthcoming. They fired the coach and everybody involved before the NCAA had to really get involved and put boots on the ground. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think about that. So 18 violations are allegations. And uh, just looking at these here, and I'm sure this is listed somewhere in the article, these should all be level ones. Should all be level ones. Doesn't appear to be, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of room here for, for wrangling, you know. They are credited with exemplary cooperation, but um, this is going to, yeah, that's correct. All 18 violations are level one, which is the most serious violation you can have. So 18 level ones. So where does this thing come down? You know, I, I think you know, they're not going to walk away scot-free. I mean, they're going to probably get three to four years probation. They'll lose some some scholarships and uh, maybe a one-year bowl ban. They did not self-impose a bowl ban last year. I think maybe that was because they knew that perhaps one was coming. And I think Tennessee did the one thing I think you have to do when you know you're guilty. When you know you're guilty, you have to protect yourself. Because nobody, no coach, no player, no donor is bigger than the program. So Tennessee got out in front of this and then kept quiet and cooperated and offered up everything they could. And I think that's probably one of the reasons Josh Heupel took that job up there is because he knew they were going to be committed to letting him stay while they kind of work their way through all this craziness. But Tennessee is going to probably have some other issues to deal with here in the, in the years to come. I don't think it's going to be as bad as maybe we initially thought, though. And that's just kind of reading this. and The fact that they didn't get LOIC you know, tells me that there are some people in the enforcement staff that probably see that Tennessee – recognized they had a rogue coach. And the thing that I go back to is uh, kind of the irony in this whole thing is, you know, when Phil Fulmer was the coach at Tennessee, how he was part of a quid pro quo where to get Alabama. And then now here, what does he do? He goes and hires a former Alabama assistant coach to come run his program because he's obsessed with Alabama. And then that coach then gets him on probation. I think Jeremy Pruitt's looking at a very lengthy, lengthy show cause. It's all pretty fascinating, though. I mean, it really is. Because when you have staff members involved, it's like, okay, one thing, okay, you have people under your umbrella that are donors and fans that, that do things that are stupid. You know, we had some of that in the Ole Miss case. We had that in the Mississippi State case, um, you know, with Will Redmond. You know, you have people that oversteps their bounds as donors, and you get punished. It's a different horse altogether a horse of a different color in many respects, when the staff members are involved. The staff members directly are involved. I think that's an important distinction. These are people that are under the supervision of the NCAA. These are people that are educated, and they attend all these workshops, and they go through all this compliance training. And so you do all that, and you sign on those documents, and then you yourself go and cheat, and then and here's Pruitt and his wife, a former compliance officer, breaking the rules. And you remember there were some people that wanted him to get our job. Now, was this the Jeremy Pruitt way of doing things? Or was this the Tennessee way of doing things? 
those are the things that I think about. You know, when Lane Kiffin was there, it two different cases in merging the cases together. Was that the Lane Kiffin way or was that the Tennessee way? You know, Phil Fulmer and those guys were guilty as sin and they turned state's evidence against Alabama. So is this a Tennessee way or was it the full former way? It's, you begin to start asking your questions here, but, you know, Tennessee clearly has some culture problems. And maybe they have, you know, a culture of noncompliance. I mean, I mean, how many coaches in a row, you know, have they had NCAA issues under? Kind of got to ask yourself, okay, well, if this is a Jeremy Pruitt thing, and listen, I'm no Pollyanna. I understand how college athletics works. Was Jeremy doing this at Georgia? Was Jeremy doing this at Alabama? Right? Those are things you got to ask yourself. And listen, everybody cuts a few corners out there. I understand that. That's part of the deal. But this is very, very serious. I, I think Jeremy Pruitt is done coaching in the NCAA. I know he is uh, what a defensive analyst with the New York Giants now. I think that's correct. But Jeremy Pruitt is finished coaching college football. And, again, there are people that wanted him to have our job. I, you know, I, I, I did initially because I knew that he would get after on the recruiting trail. I didn't realize that he would. this is the manner in which he did it. And, listen, I used to hear stories years ago when he was, uh, he'd recruit the you know, Mississippi and Louisiana Gulf Coast and that kind of stuff, and he had a burner phone that I actually had the number given to me by a recruit. You know, but it's like that's just kind of part of the process. This is a, a pretty far step when you and your wife – are arranging impermissible benefits and providing cash payments and free rent and furniture for recruits and their families and things of that nature, according to these allegations, it's a lot different than having a burner phone. Yeah, and the thing that I've learned, too, about this recruiting stuff is, you know, the laws only apply to the law abiding, right? So this Tennessee thing will be very serious. I think it's even more serious for, for Jeremy Pruitt. But I think if you're a Tennessee fan, as bad as it feels today, you know, because you knew it was coming, and you're thinking, oh, we'll get this. 18 level ones is significant. It's going to be a lengthy process. But the good thing is, is I think, you know, Josh Hype, one of those guys, have proven to be able to recruit at a pretty high level, even with this dark cloud kind of hanging over their, their heads. You know, that was the one thing, you know, like Hugh Freeze's last class, because, you know, this last class was a punishment. And a lot of it's because of the fact that they had the dark cloud hanging over their heads. And look at what tennis, how Tennessee's recruiting right now. I think they have probably shared with recruits, hey, it, listen, we're going on probation. It's not going to be as bad. You know, we're not, maybe they're not going to expect to get a bowl ban. I think with 18 level ones, you got to get one, right? You have to. You got to get one. How, how can you let that – kind of continue and I think the thing that I've said before when it comes to enforcement the thing that I would do I wouldn't be softening the blow to schools or donors or administrators there would be a lot more accountability it's like okay university president if you guys want to accept donations from this guy and you want to have this guy affiliated with your fan base and you're going to allow this guy to have access to players, recruits, and coaches, and things like that, then, okay, we're, we're going to hammer you. You know, we talk about we're going to disassociate the guy. you got to do more than just disassociate the guy. And it's not just a public censure. you got to make sure there's some teeth behind that. But what it is is people are so cash-strapped, they're willing to, you know, hey, we'll do what we got to do, you know. 
we won't sell them season tickets. Do you, but do you think any of those guys that really love that program aren't going to be able to go sit in a season ticket and they're going to be in a suite somewhere? Maybe with a friend? Maybe you ban a guy from campus? I don't know. But there's got to be more accountability. You've got to make people realize it isn't worth it. And this situation is completely different, though. This isn't a booster run wild type deal, right? This is an administration. This is a coaching staff that simply thought the rules didn't apply to them. And they're going to have to pay for it. And many of them will likely pay with their careers. All right, time for the final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know my friend Brooks Bryan? That's a guy that's always doing things the right way. You're not going to get Brooks Bryan caught up in any silliness. That's a guy that does things the right way. He's a diamond dog. He didn't know any other way. Listen, if you're looking to move to Starkville, and you probably should, it's always been your dream to have a place in Starkville. Brooks can hook it up for you. Brooks' phone number, his personal cell number, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Part of a great group of folks bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville, Portico. Phase one's completely sold out. We knew it would. We knew it would go quick. We knew it would, and it has. Phase two under construction now. Two of those houses already sold, I think three now. But you've got uh, some homes being built now they are going to be ready to move into pretty soon. So if you want to spend the holidays in your new home in Starkville, maybe it's time to start making a move, right? If you're maybe not ready, maybe you're like, hey, we're going to do something later. Maybe it's better to start thinking about picking out that lot now because this is 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. There are a lot of other developments around town. There are, but not within a mile or so of campus. Right, And it's the quiet side of campus. You have the convenience of being there, plus all your friends and family can stop by and see you on their way to the game because it's right off of 82 on the 12, the very first right. Everybody is going to pass that road to your neighborhood on their way to the game with rare exception. Make it easy, right? They just come park at your house. We can all ride together. If I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. That's as honest as I can put it out there. If I was moving now, I've been here now eight years, but if I was moving now, I'd move there. The convenience to town, the convenience to campus, you're, just, you're not going to be able to beat it, but also, too, you're tucked away in a neighborhood there, so you have a little bit of privacy. Be sure and check it out. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And, again, they can do some customization for you, too. It's not all this cookie-cutter stuff. Reach out to Brooks. Let him answer those questions for you. Make Portico your next move. All right, you got some baseball visitors on campus this weekend, and their names uh, shall remain private for now. And we're working through all that stuff, too. We're also, too, we don't want to be an impediment of the coaching staff. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's football and basketball recruiting much, much different. You know, like football, every kid that gets an offer, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you could have a guy that's got, uh, you know, 25 Power 5 offers, and then he picks up an offer from, say, Alabama A&M. They share it. As well, they should. They've earned it, Right. I've got no objection to any of that. But, but things in fa- football and basketball are a lot more open because it's so much uh, you know, kind of communicated by the student athlete themselves. Baseball, you just don't see that. You just don't see a lot of that reported. There is just still some secrecy with baseball. Now, the way the portal situation is going now, it's a much different deal. So much to, There's more interest in it. Because you know, usually you're like, hey, Steve, yeah, we got this big commitment from this kid from Madison Central, but he's a freshman. Yeah, I'm not going to see this guy for four years, right? And so a lot can change between now and then. Maybe he doesn't develop. Maybe he gets injured. 
Maybe there's a coaching change. You know, there's all these things that can happen. So it's like it's different for baseball because, you know, a lot of these guys are recruited three years to four years before they even get on campus. And there are a lot of coaches out there that will tell the kids, hey, don't, don't really communicate the offer. It happens. Good, bad, or indifferent, it happens. Because until we get to a full scholarship situation, you know, people just don't want, to, want it out there because all of a sudden you're just kind of shining a light on these kids. And listen, they all go play, you know, you know, in the, the wooden bat stuff out in Cobb County and that kind of stuff. They, they all play travel team baseball, so they're not really hidden gems, but a lot of people don't know who's on them. And all of a sudden, you know, kid tweets out an offer, and, and you go back and look at all these kids, for many of you that follow college baseball recruiting, they're tweeting out when they go to camp, and then they're tweeting, if you're lucky, and they're tweeting out like their highlights, and they're tweeting out their commitment. You don't see a lot of guys out there tweeting out scholarship offers. There are some, very few. And a lot of it is because if players are told, hey, let's just kind of keep this between us, they don't want to injure their relationship with the coach, so they don't put it out there. We've interviewed all these uh, portal guys between Robbie Falk and I. Kind of the same situation. You know, they just weren't ready to talk about it until they made a decision. And I think a lot of that, too, is like, if you put out there, because like Mississippi State, let's be honest, Mississippi State is a destination type school. Whether whether the self-loathing segment of our fan base wants to admit it or not, we are a big-time baseball program. We are. Best fan base, best facilities. You know, we are a big-time program. So if we offer a kid, then all of a sudden, somebody, as soon as that offer is tweeted out, there's some analyst at the University of Arkansas or LSU that's like, hey, well, who did the Mississippi State offer? Who is that guy? Did we miss on him? Are we unfamiliar with him? It's just a different deal. And because of the fact that it's not a full scholarship sport, let's say for an example that, you know, we, we may all be recruiting the same kids. Maybe we're offering a 50% scholarship. Maybe LSU's offering 33%. Maybe Arkansas is offering 40%. And so there's a lot to it. It's just a different dynamic. And it's not just like, you know, the regular sources that are tight-lipped. Everybody involved with college baseball recruiting is tight-lipped. You talk to some travel team coaches, they'll say, hey, listen, here's what's going on, but don't say anything. You know, everybody's worried about it getting out there. I can't really explain it. That said, we're doing our best to be prepared to give you some reaction next week. Because, again, we don't, want to do, we don't want to start putting things out there that make the job more difficult for your coaching staff. Now, we, we're also, too, we're in a journalism business. If we, if we find out something independently, we're going to report it. It's what we do. It's what you guys depend on us to do. But it has been incredibly tight-lipped. You know, like we found out, you know, like when Amani Larry visited, we found out after he visited Colton Ledbetter visited. We found that after he visited. So we feel like some things will leak out here in the next uh, day or two. And, again, not going to be out there working the phones, you know, trying to hit everybody up and send all these text messages and things like that while they're trying to host visitors. It's just, it's just the wrong thing to do. You don't want to be an intrusion to any of that stuff. That said, uh, spoke to Lamontis a couple days ago, wrote that article, you know, and uh, there, again, we're probably looking three to five new portal guys, three to five. That could be a number of things, but uh, we do expect one to be another outfielder, probably a right-handed power guy that could play center. Ledbetter could play center, but you probably need another outfielder. 
Yeah, there was all this discussion. People were like, oh, maybe Brad Cumbus will come back. There was no chance of Brad coming back, really. Well, maybe Cam could go play the outfield. Cam's not coming back either. You know, and, and Cam could do it. He's athletic enough to do it. But I think uh, Cam's ready to go. And it's not personal against anybody. I mean, you can, people forget that it's COVID year counted too as far as like on their clock before they get ready to go join the ranks of pro baseball. So you got to get another outfielder possibility of picking up another infielder as a depth guy and maybe that's a guy from a lower level right I mean just you know maybe it's a g5 guy maybe it's a d2 guy maybe it's a d3 guy you know there's a lot of good baseball good ball being played everywhere and guys mature at different rates and there could be some guys that perhaps could make a jump and if you're a d2 guy and you're like hey listen we need you to come up here and be like a utility guy for us you're gonna play a little bit but we really need you to be on the depth hey you come in here and compete for the starting job but if you don't win it you know, we, we need you to be here and ready to play. You know, you could use another Tanner Leggett guy, right? Could you not? I mean, Tanner Leggett, listen, had one of the biggest hits in the history of Mississippi State baseball. But the thing that I love about Tanner, he's played right. He's played left. I don't remember him playing center, but he's played third. He's played short. He's played second. That Guys like that are invaluable. And now he's gone, right? Now he's exhausted his eligibility. If, if we could find another guy like that, kind of a part-time player, a jack-of-all-trades that can play somewhere else, you got to get that guy. Because you never know when a guy's going to get a little banged up or you got to give a guy a day off or, you know, just kind of how things happen. So I could see that. And, of course, you know, we're, we're all – everybody in the country is waiting to find out what Paul Skeens are going to do. LSU, Oregon State, Vanderbilt – Tennessee a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people involved with this situation. He's a very mature guy. It's not, and I know I've read some stuff too, and it's like people have a lot more opinions than they have facts, right? And so people are like, oh, he's going to go to the highest bidder. I'm just telling you, based on everything that I've heard about this kid, and not just from one or two sources, but people you speak to in pro baseball, people you speak to in the scouting circles, people you speak to uh, that cover other teams – will tell you this is a different kind of kid. This is a kid that, you know, number one, his family has some money. Number two, he went to the Air Force because he's really a person of character. I mean, he could have gone anywhere in the country, but he, he wanted to serve, and now, of course, he's moving on from that. But the reality of it is this is a different kind of kid. He's going to pick the best situation for himself to put himself in the best position to be drafted as high as possible next year and give himself a chance to go to Omaha, Right? He's not going to go to a lesser school or a worse situation because they're willing to pay a few dollars on the NIL side. It's not going to happen. There may be some kids that make those kinds of decisions. I don't want them. I don't want those kind of guys. You say, but Steve, no, I don't. I mean, here's the deal, too. Like, if you're picking between, you know, Mississippi State, I don't, I don't know, Louisville, and no, no disrespect to Louisville, they have a great program. I'm a, a tremendous fan of Coach Dan McDonald. But from a facility standpoint and from a financial commitment to college baseball, Louisville is not on par with Mississippi State. We, we all know this, right? But if you would go to Louisville because they would give you a little more money on the NIL side than Mississippi State, then that's not a guy that I want. And, again, all due respect to Louisville, I think Louisville, it's just a matter of time before they're back in Omaha and competing for an AFL championship. But all things being equal, they're not equal. If you're choosing between, it's the thing I think about sometimes too. Like if you, how many of you have been to Vanderbilt baseball? I mean, many of you have been to football, and you know what you know what a dump that is. And they're fixing to renovate that. Thank goodness. But 
and that'll just mean that there'll be a lot more empty, that the empty seats will be cleaner. But if you've ever been to a baseball game at Vandy, it's not even like a college game. The atmosphere is terrible. The facilities are terrible. They don't even have a bathroom at the stadium. It's kind of pushed in there, kind of in the underbelly of their football stadium. It's not pretty to look at at all. On TV, it looks nice. In person, it's terrible. The fan experience at Vandy, which are not a lot of fans, there are a bunch of them on Twitter, it's just not very good. And so if, if I'm Paul Skeens and I'm going to look at that and say, you know what, Vanderbilt's got a great tradition. Tim Corbin's a great coach. But from a facility standpoint, this is awful. If you've ever been to Vandy and kind of seen it up close, you would understand why they're so creative with financial aid. Because there's no – I mean, I would say right now, I would – I don't think this is being cruel. I think – Vanderbilt is probably maybe the 12th best stadium in the conference. And that might even be maybe 13th. And, of course, in the, one, the ones that's behind them is Tennessee, and they're just getting renovated, right? So Vanderbilt, one of the worst baseball facilities in the conference. And if you've ever been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, again, all things being equal, it's not equal. And so – They've got to do some things to try to compensate for that. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I believe we're getting Paul Skeens. I will tell you that we are very much in the mix for Paul Skeens. He still has a handful of visits to make before he makes a decision. And his decision, in many respects, could alter the SEC race. If he goes to Arkansas, and now we've got to deal with him, it's a problem. If he goes to LSU, now we've got to deal with him. If it comes to Mississippi State, they got to deal with us. And one of the things that worries me a little bit, I guess, is like if, you, if, if I'm making this decision and I look at the season Mississippi State had last year, yeah, I see some opportunity, but also think, can these guys really get to the tournament next year? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. I mean, I, I'm sure that's something, if I'm recruiting against Mississippi State, that's the chink in the armor, right? That's the thing I can say, you know, guys, listen – we made the tournament last year, and if we'd have had you, we'd have been in Omaha. Mississippi State finished dead last in the West. That, that concerns me. That line of thinking concerns me. But I think this is a guy that's going to make a decision based on relationships. And I think he also understands, too, we had all these injuries last year and that he is a guy that can come in and pitch on weekends for us. And when you look at what we have coming back and what we have coming in, but, yeah, I could make a case on why he shouldn't pick Mississippi State. When I'm being objective with myself, I mean, yeah, we've got the great facility, we've got the great fan base, the great tradition, the great uniforms, the great M over S, but you know what? The kid's got one year, one year left to play college baseball before he gets drafted, one. So what does that mean? What's going to matter to him? I think it's going to boil down to relationships. And everybody tells me that we're in a good shape in that respect. But if I'm Jay Johnson at LSU, I'm going to be like, hey, listen, we got the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. Got a great team coming back. Even though they did get beat up pretty good in the class. You know, but they, what's left of the class is still outstanding. I don't know if they finished number one, but they've got a great class, right? And Jay can say, you know what? Hey, we, we lost in a super last year to Southern Miss. We should have won that thing. It should have been in Omaha. And now with you here, we're definitely going to Omaha. If I'm Dave Van Horn, I think my cell is maybe not quite as desperate as Mississippi State's, probably not as convincing at LSU. 
you say, hey, you know, listen, we're a great team too. We'd had you, we'd won it. But I think in some respects, if you look at the way things are trending, I think maybe you would favor LSU if you're, if you're picking along those lines. And so I still believe State is in a good position with Paul Skeens. I really, really do. But this is not going to be, you know, for the, the weak at heart, for any stretch. This, this is when your guys are going to go out there and have to recruit exceptionally hard to get them. And see, this is why you build the stadium. Right? This is why you build the stadium. This is why you have the big scoreboard out there. This is why you have the pitching lab. This is why you do all this stuff is to get guys like Paul Skeens. You say, but Steve, we got Paul Mulholland with all that stuff. That's right. When's the last time we had somebody quite like that that came in and showed up from day one and it's going to shut people down? You know, and that's a guy, too, that had always wanted to be here. And so there is this arms race. It's not all just NIL stuff. It's what gets me prepared for the next level. And that's what your coaches are trying to you know, sell now. This is the best opportunity for you, number one, because, yeah, you're going to pitch. And you could DH or whatever. And you could also have the opportunity uh, to get back. We've won an AFL championship. We had three great years. We had one bad year. One bad year. And so you have to sell guys like Paul Skeens on the fact that, hey, listen, yeah, it's one bad year. We need you to come in here. And let's have one great year. We've got a great class coming in behind you. Kind of come in here and be a stopgap. We'll help you get to the next level and get as much money as you can possibly get. You can help us heal a little bit. So it's going to be about what he wants. What he sees is the best opportunity for himself. Some other games out there for sure. And, again, you got to find a left-handed matchup guy somewhere. Somewhere you've got to find somebody that can come in there and be a Zach Neff for you, be a Chad Gerardo, come in there and chew up lefties for a little while. We don't have that guy. You know, maybe maybe Cole Cheatham is that guy. I think Cole's a guy that could be a long reliever for us. He showed some real flashes last year. He wasn't dominant in every outing. He wasn't. You know, and it took him a while to kind of get out there. I, I, I have high hopes for Cole Cheatham. I really do. But we still need that matchup guy. We need the guy that Cam Toller was supposed to be for us. And listen, Cam had some big moments last year too, but it was incredibly inconsistent. He was really consistently inconsistent. But we need that guy that we can go out there in the eighth inning you know, when people are stacking left-handers against us, we go out there and chew them up and just get to the ninth. You need that dominant left-handed reliever. You do. A guy that can work, get you half inning there. That's what we want. And then we'll kind of see how things go. But, again, I think, again, you got to get some infield depth, got to get an outfield bat, and you got to get a couple pitchers. You need a starter and you need a left-handed matchup guy. And if for somebody else out there, we're not going to turn down great players. Great players. And that's the thing that I think about all the time. It's like, you know, there is a, there's a finite number of spots, and there's, it seems like an infinite number of players in the portal. If, if we can't go get better than what we have, we're just wasting our time, right? But if you can go get some guys that make you a much more competitive team this year while these younger guys develop, I think you're going to feel a whole lot better about life. I, I, so funny, too, I ran into Ross Highfield today. Walk out of the store, and he's like, hey, man, is that your car? I really like that car. And I'm like, well, thank you very much. I tell the story. I have to think, thinking to myself, is this Ross Highfield? And then I get down the road and he texts me and he's like, I think I just ran into you at the store. Yeah, he did. He did. And I'll tell you this, that's a good-looking kid. That, that's, that's what you want your incoming freshman to look like. And there are a lot of people that have a lot of high expectations for Ross. As well, they should. And Ross Highfield is a big-time prospect. He would have been drafted this year if he wanted to go. I don't think people fully appreciate that. He elected not to go. 
He has been a leader in the clubhouse already. This is a guy I think you can get excited about. And I tell you, seeing him ground level face-to-face, let's go. Let's go get it done. This is a guy that clearly knows where the weight room is. He's committed himself to physical training. Uh, Drives a pickup truck, too, right? So he'll fit right in. Got the flow going down the back, as you guys are well aware. But uh, Ross Highfield, I believe, is going to be part of a very special class here at Mississippi State. Very, very special class. Yeah, this portal class gets you better this year, right? This signing class gets you better for the years after that. And some of those guys will contribute this year. But you need this influx of talent, not just to make you more competitive this year, but to lay the foundation for the next couple of years. And, and listen, maybe many of you don't know Chris Limonis the way that I do. And it's not like we go fishing or anything. But I can tell you that this season, as bad as it hurt all of us, it hurt him worse. It absolutely did. He's taken it very personally. He's been very personally involved with a lot of recruiting stuff. It's his program, and he, under, he, said, he said something the other day when I interviewed him that I thought was profound. You know, he talks about the pressure to play here and the pressure to win here. And he goes, you know what? That's part of the deal. He goes, but you know, the, the most difficult thing was losing here because of all the expectations. Because there's so many – because baseball matters here at Mississippi State, and it matters to Chris Limonis. He doesn't want an easier, softer way. That's not what he's looking for. But I think we learned some lessons this year. That awful feeling, and I talked to Scott Foxhall, and he said, you know, Steve, the margin for error between victory and defeat in this conference is razor thin. It really is. And I think we got a mouthful of that bitterness to last us a lifetime. I don't think you're ever going to see Mississippi State be lazy in the portal. And I'm not trying to suggest that we were. I think we were maybe caught up a little bit in the nostalgia. Hey, we won. We got everybody back. We'll keep the band together. You know, and then we go right like a Metallica St. Anger album, you know. And it didn't work out well for us. But there, there's a college baseball coach that I respect immensely. And it's one of the things that we talk about is he goes, you know what? You always got to be adding to the top and taking away from the bottom. Every recruiting decision you make is about adding to the top, getting more talented. And if you have guys down your bench that can't contribute, you, you got to move on from them. You have to. And so that's kind of part of this deal. I don't know that last year we added to the top with great success. We wouldn't got R.J. Yeager, and we tried to get, you know, Jess Davis to kind of get things in that, you know, I thought Jess was going to be, you know, Jess is, you know, what, you know, career 220 hitters and like that. I mean, he's not going to just all of a sudden show up here and face SEC pitching and be a 300 guy. That's not, that's not fair, you know. And maybe we chased him because we knew he was a plus defender. He had connections to Ron Polks. We felt like we had, you know, really good inside-type scouting report because of his time at UAB. But I don't know that we really added to the top last year. We're adding to the top this year, and we're taking away from the bottom. There's no question about it. And so I, again, feel very confident about where we're going. I think this next week is going to be huge, huge for Mississippi State baseball. We'll have more on that next week. Until next time. Okay, before we get into that, don't forget. People ask me all the time, Steve, how can we support you? Well, you go, to, go buy some books. Go to dogpilethebook.com. You can get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Dogpile while you're there. Go to starkvillains.com and get yourself a Stark Villain t-shirt. Go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, booksmillion.com, order Bloom's Voliander. I was asked about that yesterday on a radio interview. So 
Buy the merch, buy the books. It's the best way. And, of course, go to jeanspage.com and subscribe. We've got a great team over there, man. I'm really proud of our team. We're going to have some meetings here in the next couple of weeks, kind of kind of get some game planning together for the season. We're excited about that. But uh, I'll share more about that later as we go. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.